0: going to start a new series today called, What is God Doing? And for the next three weeks, I'm going to talk about uh, Exodus, stories from Exodus and Moses, uh, and gets at this question. Actually, we probably started it last week, because if you were here, you know my brother Marty spoke, and he spoke on digging and dunging. When life is hard, what is God doing? I mean, he, he didn't, I don't think he said it quite this way, but it might be that he's digging things out that need to be dug out of your life, and it might be that he's, he's putting fertilizer on you, you so it stinks, but you can grow out of it. That's my quick synopsis of what I heard him say last week. If you didn't hear it, I heard a lot of people were really impacted by that message. They've come and talked to me, so consider uh, watching that online. The story we're going to talk about today is, has to do with Moses and the Israelites when they are out of leaving Egypt and at the Red Sea. And the angle I want to especially focus on is, what about when we don't know what we're doing? We don't know what to do. We have decisions to make, things, and we just, we just don't know what we're doing. So, for instance, in, maybe it's in relationships, in a particular relationship. Family member, spouse, coworker, boss, something like that. And what we know is it's not working. Things are not working well. But we don't know what to do. If, it's like if I say something, I think it might make it worse. If I don't say something, it keeps staying bad. And I just can't figure out what I'm supposed to do. And it, but it's, it's getting to a point where I can't just leave it like it is. But I don't, know, I don't know what to do. In that kind of situation, how do we look to God and how does he help speak into that? So, just a little Big picture of, of where we're going to pick up. I want to give a little bit of background. The Israelites are the family line that comes from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you learn about these people in the first book of the Bible in Genesis. They come down, 70 of them. So it's, uh, it's Jacob and his kids and his grandkids. They say it's like 70 of them. And they live in, in Egypt. And they grow. And over hundreds of years, they become a nation. But they also become enslaved. And they are treated brutally. Brutally, brutally, brutally. And at some point, God sends Moses as the deliverer to set them free. And Moses and Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, they face off with each other. And God does signs and wonders. So Moses will say, You got to let my people go. And Pharaoh will say, No. And then there'll be a sign and wonder. And Pharaoh will say, Okay. And then he'll change his mind. And it happens 10 times. And these signs and wonders are pretty specific, like the Egyptians worship the Nile River. So one of the signs is the Nile River turns to blood. The Egyptians worship the crocodile or the alligator, you know, the things that eat frogs. So God sends so many frogs they don't know what to do with. The Egyptians worship the sun. That's one of their main gods, the sun. And so there is dark darkness that covers the land. The the Egyptians say Pharaoh is God. And then Pharaoh's child will be the next god. And the firstborn sons of the land, including Pharaoh's child, die. So there's a way in which the Egyptians who said, no, we don't need to pay attention to God. we got lots of other gods to pay attention to. See, there's God. And at that point, Pharaoh says, you can go. So God leads the people as they're leaving. This is 600,000 people with their animals, with their stuff. This is not a quick journey. But instead of going like north, northeast along the Mediterranean route, right along the coast, that'd be the shortest path to get to where they're going, this, this new land. Uh, he says, if they go that way, there's a lot of armies there. They aren't going to make it. These aren't military people. They have men in the military. They don't know what they're doing. They're going to get scared, freaked out. They're, they're not going to make it. So he instead sends them more through the desert, kind of straight across. But then he says to Moses, you know what? I want you to go back. Go back toward the other direction to this spot by this water uh, because what I'm going to do is Pharaoh's going to think you're confused. Like, oh, we're going this, oh, we don't know. And he's going to come after you with his army, but then I'm going to show him that I am the Lord. I'm going to show everyone I am the Lord. So sure enough, they go back, they camp in this spot, and Pharaoh's back going, man, the economy's bad. We had all these bad things that wiped out our economy, and then on top of that, we sent 600,000 of our labor force that we don't have to pay, we sent them out, we, he's not gonna last us, Pharaoh, in this situation. So he and his leaders say, we are gonna go get them. And so that is is where we are in a few verses that I'm gonna read, which is Exodus chapter, I think 13, verse six, I better not do this. I better do it this way, because it'll take too long. I don't think I marked my spots. So as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up And there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. So remember, there's these six hundred thousand people. They are their backs are to the sea. And the literal translation is they lifted the Israelites lifted their heads, and behold, Egypt. Like, it looked like the whole country's coming after them. And by the way, Pharaoh got his very best chariots. It talks about the, the 600 best chariots. This is the, the cutting-edge military technology of the day in the world, and he's bringing it all plus his whole army behind that. So they're thinking, okay, we got water to the back. We cannot go through this way, and we're hemmed in like that, and we have a whole army coming in. There's, there's just, we can't go this way, and we can't go that way. So they cry out to the Lord, and then if you can go to the next slide, they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. It's funny, I don't remember them saying these things, it's not written in the Bible. It's understandable why they're freaking out, remember, remember, Death coming this way, suicide into the water that way. That's their options at this point. It is just not good. And so, but, they, when it's not good, we got to look for somebody to take it out on. And groups of people, masses of people, tend to do that, especially toward leaders. So when things are good, man, that leader's awesome, and we just quickly lift up that leader. And then when things aren't good, that's all their fault. So careful with jumping too far in on what's trending, because the bigger the masses, the bigger they just kind of flip back and forth. Anyway, they take it all out on Moses. Next verse, how does Moses respond? Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. I want to, if you can go back, I want to look at this one more time. Pay attention to see. So Moses answered the people, don't be afraid, fear not, stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. I might get back to that, I might not, but in case I do, there it is. Then Moses says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. They got people coming at him. It's only a matter of time. The army is coming at him, and he says, The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. I remember late 20s, early 30s, I was meeting with a guy for a couple years who was kind of a mentor to me, a little bit older than me, and uh, he was a wise man. And one time when we're meeting, he is like, this is the verse that God has just put in my heart. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And he would say that over and over to me. He would say that. And in, in a world where we get anxious, we're easily full of anxiety and we react and we feel like we need to control things, it's, a, it's quite the message. I started using that message. I would bring it up in my sermons. I would pray it over people. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. I don't know what to do. Coming this way. I can't go that way. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. You don't need to react. You don't need to feed your anxiety. You don't need to control things. I mean, it's a great verse. The only problem with that verse is the next verse. The next verse is the Lord's response. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. What? Now, first of all, first of all, it was very clear. The Israelites were the one crying out to the Lord. If I'm Moses and I hear the Lord say, why are you crying out to me? Because it's singular in the original language. Like, he's saying it to Moses. Why are you crying out to me? I'd be like, I'm not. They're crying. These people. Not me. I'm, what are you talking about? I just said, I mean, I was very calm, I thought. In the midst of all this, God, give me some credit. I'm not crying out. Not that I'm a defensive person with God, but maybe. But then, he like steps, I feel like he steps up. He steps up and says, you know, come on, bring in peace. Let's have some faith. And says, be still. And it's like the words are barely out of his mouth. And God says, what are you doing? Standing still. Get going. Now, this is part of the Bible that I find confusing. I want some clear answers, especially when I'm talking about situations where I'm trying to figure out what's going on. I want Something that says, in this situation, you move. Or in this situation, shut your mouth. But I feel like you get both messages. I mean, even when Jesus is saying, like, giving the final instructions, the final instructions before he ascends to heaven to his followers. This is this is the big one. Matthew 28, verse 20, you know, go, go into all the world. And make disciples, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and I will be with you always to the end of the earth. Go make disciples, go baptize in the name of Jesus, go teach people to obey everything I've commanded you. Go, that's pretty clear, go. Except that in Luke, another account in the Bible of Jesus' life, when you're talking about right before he ascends to heaven, Here's his instructions. He says to them, when you're in Jerusalem, wait. Wait until you're clothed with power from on high. In the sequel to Luke in Acts, it says, he says, stay in the city and the Holy Spirit will come on you with power. So his last instructions to the disciples are, go, wait. Wait. Now that is what I feel like is clear to me. Go and wait, be still, move on. So for instance, this summer, like most summers, I didn't teach for several weeks in a row. And during the times when I don't teach for several weeks in a row in the summer, there's some family vacation that we get in there, there's some time where I am working in the office usually, and there's also usually a week or two, week and a half or two, where I'm working, but I don't come in the office, I don't have meetings, and I don't check emails. And it's, it's my time to, I don't have to think about what am I gonna tell people the next Sunday. And so one, like one of the things that I'll often work on and have coming out of then is like the sermon series. So last year when I came out of the summer, I had like dates, sermon series topics, dates, theme, scripture for every day, for the fall series, a couple options for the winter series, a couple options for uh, January, Lent, spring. I had the, and we, we talked about them with staff and elders and got input, what would be better, what would be good. We used a lot of it, we didn't use all of it because of the feedback of the team. But anyway, there's a plan moving forward. But this year, I realized that I was really focused on getting us out of the denomination and getting a new network started and i was just a little little tapped out and so rather than do things like working on the sermon series coming up i decided i was going to read the bible for myself when i was at third i did a 9 month sermon series on the book of exodus in 2020 oh no it was 6 months in 2020 we went through the entire book of exodus so i decided I was going to study the book of Exodus because I knew there's no way I'm doing a sermon series on Exodus, notwithstanding that I am doing one now. But that just that came up like two weeks ago. That was not the plan. That was not the plan. We had a different sermon series. But anyway. But I just, I got into commentaries and I'm I'm doing it, and it was good, good for me to be reading the Bible for me, not for what I'm gonna tell you. Right? That's what my soul needs. So I did that. But then, going into the the third full week of January, I'm going to go back in the office. And I had created before July, third week of July, I had created before that, like here is two pages of paper full of lists of here's where my energy needs to go, here's what we need to do. I'm trying to figure out those things and figure out a sermon series. And it's a few days away, and I'm going, I haven't got anything for any of that. I know there's a meeting coming up. I don't have any of it. And one afternoon, that when I'm thinking about that, I start just thinking like, I got nothing. I've been wanting to get us out of the denomination because that was the that took a lot, start a new network. But now it's like new season for Celebrate. Here we, what are we? I got nothing. Nothing. Luckily, I'm studying Exodus. Exodus is all about, like, Moses is a leader and the people and where are they going and a new thing. And I'm like, perfect. You look to Moses. What is God doing with Moses? And he's, what he's doing is Moses says, be still. And God says, move on. And I'm like, that's exactly what I'm where I'm at. Am I supposed to just wait for a voice from the Lord and that's what we're going to do? Or am I supposed to just like, well, I got a brain, use it and try to... But I don't want it to be like me. I want it to be like, God, what are you doing? And I just felt like I got nothing. That's kind of what I told him. Like, I got nothing. I don't know what you're wanting from me as a leader. Maybe you don't even want me to be the leader anymore. What do you, I don't know. But I'm just going to be honest with you. I got nothing. You show up or it doesn't work because I don't want to just do church and we go through the motions. I want the real thing. I want to be in touch with the living God. I want to be around a group of people who where he moves through them, and I'm not going to just manufacture something on my own that may or may not look good. What do you want? I got nothing. And I don't know if you're asking me to just be patient to the very last minute, and then you're going to come through and show me something, or if you're asking me just to step out and do something. I don't know. Now, does anybody else Feel like that in life. And that afternoon, that's where my mind went. After being real honest with God where I was at, I started thinking of different ones of you that I've talked to. Health things. Mental health things. Situations with exes. Trying to figure out finances. Difficulty at your job. And just a feeling of like i don't know am i supposed to, am i not i don't know what to do i'm in a situation where i don't know what to do so i wonder though if there's something really good about owning that about remembering that Almost always true. Without you, what? If you don't show up, we don't make it. There's stuff coming at us, and it doesn't look like where we would go is a good place to go. That's just life a lot of times. So we need you. We need you to show up. So coming in that moment, half of me expected like, and I didn't really expect an audible voice. I just expected, like, something clear to come. That's not quite how it went. But over the course of the next day or so, I, I kept remembering something. I kept remembering that for about 10 years now, off and on, I have said that I would love to be part of a people that build a house of worship and prayer, where worship and prayer happens on-site seven days a week. And that's what I would like to see. Our leadership last year took some time to discern, God, what are you calling us to in the next season? And it, it, we came pretty unified around a phrase. And when I say leadership, was, there's was always up to about 30 people at different points that were part of the process. And it was the gathering to go with the presence of Jesus. That's what we want to be about. We want to gather and we want to go and we gather around the presence of Jesus so that we can go with the presence of Jesus gathering to go with the presence of Jesus. If, if we want his presence, one of the ways that we come into t- contact with that more, that we become more aware of it, that for whatever mysterious reason he moves with us is when we commit ourselves, especially with others, to worship and pray. So what if every day of the week here we know somebody is praying? Every day. Eventually, what if we get to a point where we know here is how we could come and pray, here's who we could come and pray with every day of the week? I think it can happen. And as I'm thinking about that, I'm like, well, I don't know about these two lists or sermon series. I don't know about any of that, but what if we started moving toward that to actually happen? What if we started building towards a house of worship and prayer? And I ran it by a few staff. In July, a couple weeks later, I ran it by all the staff. Then I ran it by the elder board. And every time, I took my few ideas of what it might look like, and there would be added to, and we'd adjust. But what I kept getting was like, yes, to the point where, a week or two ago, it was like, what if we made this the main thing for the fall? And we encouraged everyone to be part of it somehow. I get that it's not everyone's main thing to worship and pray, but to get started, to move towards it, to start building, what if you would say, I'll do it? So September 7th is a Wednesday night. That will be our prayer builder's launch for whoever wants to come, and, and we will explain in the next couple of weeks what this might look like what this might look like, and that would be a day where you can decide, like, I'm committing. You can be involved either way, but I'm going to commit to whatever you're going to commit to. There's a passage in, in uh, Psalms, Psalm 27, verse 4. says, one thing I ask, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. One thing I ask, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. There's a person who said, this is what I'm asking. I want to be in your presence, in your space, every single day. And I got to thinking, I want one thing. That somebody, anybody, not the same person even every day, but somebody would be dwelling in the house of the Lord every day. We haven't committed to become a people that would say, well, somebody's going to, and I'll do it some of the days, and somebody else will do it some of the days, but we are going to make sure that somebody, somebody says, you're worth it every day. On behalf of your people, on behalf of the world that needs you, you're worth it every day. I'm going to be one of those people who shows up sometimes. And you might think, I don't know, I couldn't pray for more than five minutes. What would I say for more? Your prayers will probably count more, by the way. I don't know that. Anyway, but it... Just show up. Give them your five minutes then. Give them your five minutes once a week, once a month. I can't believe we haven't done this yet. It's right here. One thing. want to know why the lights don't work, in my opinion? Because there's a lot of darkness. There is a lot of darkness, and so we don't know what we're doing. And instead of saying, we know we need you, so we are showing up. We are going to show up as a people. We know we need you. We know the world needs you, so we are going to show up because there is nothing we can do on our own. We need you. I'm going to show up for you. We are with our idolatry, we are full of idols. And that counts way more than showing up once a week or once a month. One thing, one thing. He is worth it. All right, we're gonna stop and pray none of that was really planned. I don't know what we're doing, I'm doing, I don't know that we know what we're doing, but we ask you to lead on, in Jesus' name, amen. So, let's get back to the story. In the story, I could Bible nerd geek out on you and explain for 30 minutes why I think this is really clearly the case. I'm gonna spare you. And just say, what is true about this passage is that it is a test. God is testing Moses, and he's testing the people of Israel. The Bible is full of tests, and Exodus especially, maybe as much or more than any other book of the Bible, has tests in it. So God is testing them when he's got people coming at them and water behind them. On one level, it seems like Moses doesn't get the, he doesn't pass the test. He doesn't get the test right. Because he's telling everybody, okay, we don't know what to do. I know, stay still. But instead, God says, no, don't be passive, do something, move. And so there's a way in which God's saying, you need to act in hope, not just passively wait for something to happen. So he might not have gotten that decision right. But if we go on, there's something else going on. So if you can bring up the next passage, Jill. Later, so God has had Moses raise his staff. The waters part in the sea. The people walk across in dry land. The Israelite or the Egyptians see them. They start coming across, and this is what happens. He jammed the wheels. God jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficult driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Moses was supposed to move, not just stay still, but there's something he got right because he said the Lord will fight for you. And then the Egyptians say the Lord is fighting for them. If we go on a couple more verses later, it says that day the Lord saved Israel. Remember Moses said your salvation is coming. Your salvation is coming. You're going to see your salvation. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. Next verse. And when the Israelites saw... Remember, he said, you'll see it. You'll see it. When they saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord. He had said, don't be afraid of them and this. Don't be full of anxiety about what's going on. Don't freak out that it doesn't seem like it's working out very well. Don't worry that you don't know what to do right now in life. Don't be afraid in that way. Now they feared, they they had awe and reverence for God. God was bigger than all their circumstances. And they put their trust in him and Moses' servant. And so, if you can go to that slide, Jill, because I can't remember like, exactly. God testing his people. Here's the test. Will you trust me? Not, are you going to make the right decision? Did you know you were supposed to move or not move? Did you do enough? Even did you pray enough? None of that. No. Will you trust me? And the test for Moses was he, he, he trusted him. He may not have even done the right thing, but he trusted him. But he was also testing their people. But it wasn't like, will you get it right? It was like, the test actually helped them trust him more. When they got through to the other side of the test, they didn't do it. I mean, I guess they followed Moses and they walked into the tunnel, which is the only way out, but the, the test actually helped them trust him more. In our tests in life, what is God doing? He's saying, will you trust me? And through this test, I'm going to help you to trust me more. And then the, the next thing, which I'll do, More quickly than I thought. If you can give me the last slide. There it is. God telling his people, remember I have saved you. Exodus is a weird book to read because you're reading this incredible story. And then all of a sudden you'll just get like laws or something like that. And then the story will pick up again. Well, in this story, right before the people start, the whole thing I talked about, about, they start heading towards the Mediterranean. Right in the middle of that, God stops and just gives him instructions and says, this, this Passover meal you're eating before you get set free, I want you to do it every year. I want you to do it every year through all your generations. I want you, and I had eight passages ready to go, I want you to remember, to remember, to remember, to remember, to remember. I want you to remember. See, Moses remembered what God has done. Moses had been in times where it looked like God didn't show up at all and everything fell apart. He had been in times where he totally missed it. But he had also seen God work and he remembered that. The Israelites just saw ten signs and wonders. And yet, when they got to the place where these are coming and the water's there, will God show up? Remember. He wants them to remember. He saved them. He wants them to remember that. He saved them. He will save them again. He will be with them. Now, Jesus, when he was eating that Passover meal, or the Passover meal that was supposed to be practiced every single year, oh, eat this meal and remember that God saved those Israelites. When there, there was no saving to be happened, he made them a people. He set them free. He did all of that. When he's in the middle of that, he says, I got a new meal for you. A new meal for you so that you remember that I came to save you. That out of all our problems in the world that are so tough and so hard and we don't know what to do, our biggest problem is we can't connect to God on our own. And we fall short of what it means to be a human being, but he has saved us. And he is giving us a new way and a new life. And so he says, eat this meal and remember, I have saved you. You can trust me. I am with you. So the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, broke it, and said, Take and eat. This is my body, broken for you. Whenever you do this, do it remembering me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, said, Take, drink. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, it's for the forgiveness of your sins. Do it remembering me. So the bread which we break is the communion of the body of Christ and the cup of blessing which we bless is the communion of blood of Christ. And anyone who says, I want Jesus to be my Savior, he's my Savior, can come to remember he's real, he's alive, he's here. We can trust him. He will save us and keep saving us. And he will always be with us. So I'll have the worship team go on up. And after I pray, we'll have the elders come forward. So let's pray. God, thank you that you're with us and you're here for us. God, thank you. We pray that as we take this bread now and take this cup now, it would be for us a communion. That is, that we'd be communing with you, connecting with you, the risen Jesus, your presence here. Send your Holy Spirit that that would be true, that you'd be filling us up. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.